This episode of The Thinker's Manifesto is brought to you by The Thinker's Workshop, an educational library and online community that will help you become a better thinker. Learn more at thinkers-workshop.com. That's thinkers-workshop.com. It was an unusually busy day in lower Manhattan that Monday, September 4th. Engineers and overalls hustled from building to building along Pearl Street, carting cables and tools to a series of generators inside. Businessmen from the financial district stood around with skeptical sneers while children asked their mothers when the invention would be ready to see. The inventor, a young 35-year-old self-educated man, was huddled with his investors throughout the day, reporting on the progress made by his engineers. Finally, he received word. They were ready. And at 5 p.m. that fateful day, something miraculous happened. 400 incandescent lights turned on. For the first time in history, electricity would become commercially available to individuals and businesses alike. And every facet of that process, from the design of the generators to the wires to the light bulbs, were the creation of one man, Thomas Edison. From that day in September 1882, the growth of electrical power stations skyrocketed, with other inventors like Charles Parson and George Westinghouse contributing their work to improve on Edison's designs. No other invention in modern history comes close to the impact made by Thomas Edison at that Pearl Street location, lighting those 400 bulbs. So it's no surprise that the symbol universally associated with someone having an idea or insight is the light bulb. Welcome to Thinker's Manifesto, a podcast series that will help you think better. I'm your host, Sean Jackson. In human nature, there's nothing more powerful than an idea. Ideas can transform our world. They inspire us to find new ways of doing things. They can start wars or create a new religion. They can make us rich or lead us to ruin. They are the very essence of what makes us unique in nature. But for all their power, ideas like physical form. They are nothing more than electrical pulses that cascade from areas of our brain. They exist only in a metaphysical space, devoid of any tangible substance. Which begs the question, are ideas really that powerful? Or is it the actions that they inspire that actually matter more? Actions lead to real results, visible in form, tactile in feel, full of substance. So it stands to reason, then, that actions are what make ideas powerful, right? For centuries, philosophers and fools have struggled with the question, what matters more, an idea or its execution? 
Certainly, there is a symbiotic nature between ideas and actions. You can't have one without the other. But what is more important? We would all agree that a good idea with strong execution can generate the best results. But what if you don't have either? Is a good idea poorly executed the same as a bad idea with strong execution? Does one matter more than the other? In the first season of Thinker's Manifesto, I shared with you my insights into how we generate ideas by improving the way we think. But there was something lacking from that first season, an exploration of what it takes to turn an idea into something of value. Sure, we can improve the way we think, but are better ideas enough? Don't we have to actually do something with those ideas if they are going to have real impact in our life? In this season, we will explore this concept of ideas versus actions through the story of what we did with just one idea, which was sparked by that first season of The Thinker's Manifesto. Our story will reveal some important lessons we learned along the way, including how we recovered from a near-fatal decision early on. And at the end of the season, we will give you our answer to that eternal question of what matters more, an idea or its execution. The answer we found will surprise you. Episode 8, An Idea That Started a Journey. In the summer of 2018, I found myself at a major crossroads in my life. For several months, I had been actively engaged in selling a technology business I would helped co-found eight years earlier. While this was a major financial event for me, it also meant that I would soon find myself unemployed and without a source of income. Yes, I would have some money in my bank account, but I still had a long time to go before I could even consider retiring especially with two children heading to college in the next few years. So as this business sale was coming towards its conclusion, I felt a sense of elation and then sudden panic. What was I going to do next? As an entrepreneur for all my life, I don't really fit into most corporate environments. And quite frankly, there are not a lot of businesses looking to hire a 51-year-old software executive. So finding a job was pretty much out of the question. And while I have founded and sold several technology businesses in the past, creating a new startup in this stage of life lacked the appeal it held in my youth. Probably because I knew the incredible effort it would take to get it off the ground and make it successful. So as I often do, I was sitting at my computer contemplating what my next business would be. I would spend hours sketching out ideas in a notebook and then even more hours researching the internet to see if anyone was pursuing them. And to my frustration, every idea I contemplated had already been pursued by someone else in ways that were often superior to my initial thoughts. This cycle repeated itself over and over, writing down ideas on notepads and notebooks, researching them on the internet, and shaking my head in frustration. And then it hit me, or to be more specific, it hit the wall because I threw it. The notebook, that is. 
Let me back up a second. For years, I had been collecting an assortment of notebooks and notepads, all readily available at my desk for whatever notes I needed to take. But here's the thing. I don't really like the way notebooks are designed. First, most of them are too small. And second, the common book-style orientation is not conducive for sketching out ideas. So after another one of my cycles of writing and researching that resulted in inevitable frustration, I had finally had it with that stupid notebook I was using and hurled it across the room. I thought, why can't someone make a notebook that I can actually use? And of course, that is when it hit me. Why not just make a better notebook? Now to be fair, this was not the first time I hurled my notebook in anger or contemplated creating a better one. It was not a eureka moment as immortalized by Archimedes and his bathtub. You see, most ideas require a lot of time to evolve into something meaningful. In his groundbreaking book, Where Good Ideas Come From, Stephen Johnson postulates that good ideas can take years to develop into something useful and are the byproduct of a collision of hunches formulated over time. To quote, We have a natural tendency to romanticize breakthrough innovations, imagining momentous ideas transcending their surroundings, a gifted mind somehow seen over the detritus of old ideas and ossified tradition. But ideas are works of bricolage. They're built out of that detritus. End quote. I find this to be true from my own experience. For years, I've been thinking about solving problems using technology. After all, I'd helped build a company into a worldwide organization with hundreds of thousands of customers, due in part to a patented technology product I helped develop. But that moment of insight did not happen because of my animus towards my notebook design. It was a series of thoughts related to the way we capture notes that led me to a singular insight. Why do we write notes using pen and paper? How is that different than typing on a computer? What is the role of a phone in the ideation process? What makes a notebook good? And who cares about taking notes anyway? The answers to these and many more questions is what led me to the real insight from that violent act of throwing my notebook. Because in those answers, I found the genesis of an idea I could create a business around. The question is whether I had the courage to make that idea real. Starting a new business involves a lot of risk. When you are young, you can afford the risk. After all, you have many years to recover from your failures and use them as a learning point in your growth. But when you're over 50, that business risk is more acute. You have a life you have built, savings you have collected, responsibilities to your family and community. And if you fail, recovery can be a lot harder emotionally and financially. So why take the risk? Well, it turns out starting a business when you are over 50 is not as much of a risk as you would believe. In a provocative study published by Pierre Azoulay and J. Daniel Kim from the MIT Sloan School of Management, Being young may not actually be such a great advantage when starting a business. 
quote, We find that age indeed predicts success, and sharply, but in the opposite way that many observers and investors propose. The highest success rates in entrepreneurship come from founders in middle age and beyond. End quote. The researchers studied 1,700 founders of the fastest-growing new ventures in the U.S. and found that success rose dramatically with age. To quote, A 50-year-old founder is 1.8 times more likely to achieve upper-tail growth than a 30-year-old founder. End quote. Yes, I was concerned about what it would take to launch a new venture from a simple idea. I knew it was not going to be easy. And that's the point. My knowledge of the challenges I faced was based on decades of experience, and my skills were cultivated over decades that the younger me could only imagine. Or put another way, my age was not going to be a hindrance, and it might actually be an advantage when starting a business. But I still had my doubts. After all, there are other notebooks in the market similar to the one I had been contemplating notebooks that worked with an app for capturing ideas. But their approach seemed to miss key elements that I felt were important. Yes, they had successful launches for their products, but their apps did not do much more than capture pages from a notebook. So maybe, instead of being a notebook company with an app, I could create an app company that had a notebook. And maybe... I could create something more than just a company, a brand that would help people think better through the tools and education we could provide. Now that is an idea. The question was, could I pull it off? In the next episode of the Thinker's Manifesto, I will share with you the secret ingredient that every idea must have and how that one thing can turn an idea into a movement that changes the world. I hope you will listen in.